Hello and welcome to Since the World's Been Turning. This podcast series is a journey through history, one guided by the lyrics of Billy Joel's song, We Didn't Start the Fire. This episode takes us into the life and times of one of the best-known sportsmen of the 1950s, star baseball player Mickey Mantle. Mickey was the charismatic golden boy who rose from the mines of Oklahoma to become perhaps the best-known Yankee slugger of all time. He's also someone who struggled immensely with fame and with demons of his own. We take a look at the man behind the myth. He was the third generation of what sports writers like to call the ultimate Yankee. Joe DiMaggio had replaced Babe Ruth in 1936. And then with DiMaggio about to retire in 1951, Mickey Charles Mantle, a blonde, strong 19-year-old kid from Commerce, Oklahoma, burst into baseball. All of a sudden, I'm sitting in my locker room, and Joe DiMaggio's sitting one side. I'm in Yogi Berra on the other side. Whitey Ford's one of the pitchers, you know. And uh, it's quite a thrill for a 19-year-old kid from Commerce, Oklahoma, to all of a sudden be in the Yankee clubhouse, you know, and playing in Yankee Stadium. It's Kansas City, 1951, and two men, father and son, are arguing in a hotel room. The younger man, sometimes nicknamed Muscles, is healthy and strong, but his father, still only in his late 30s, is lean-looking and tired. Mickey Mantle is beginning to lose his nerve. He's called his dad here to tell him he wants to go home. He just doesn't think he can play baseball anymore. He's not cut out for it. He will later say he wanted some comfort for his father to console him as he did when he was young. Instead, his father turns to him, looks him squarely in the eye and says, I thought I raised a man. I see I raised a coward instead. You can come back to Oklahoma and work the mines with me. He begins to pack Mickey's clothes. The harsh statement stops the young baseballer in his tracks. Mickey knows now that he has to stick it out. He just has no choice. Mickey Charles Mantle is born in 1933 in the tiny community of Spavanor, Oklahoma. He spends most of his childhood in the small zinc and lead mining town of Commerce, where his father, Elvin Mantle, known as Mutt, finds work. To understand the baseballer's rise to fame, you have to also understand the fierce ambition of Mickey's father. Mutt is only 20 years old when his young wife Lovell gives birth to Mickey, but he already has a fatalistic view of life. His own mother died in childbirth, and he was raised by his father. He gave up on school and a potential sporting career to go and work in the mines. The deadly cancer Hodgkin's lymphoma runs in his family, and he can feel that going into the toxic dust and dampness every day is taking a toll on his health. Illness, whether it's cancer or tuberculosis, seems inevitable. In his free time, Mutt cherishes every moment above ground in the fresh air and sunshine. As Mickey grows into a toddler, a seed is planted and begins to grow in Mutt's mind. 
Mutt decides his son will not spend the best years of his life in cavernous darkness. He will become a ball player, and not just be any ball player. He will become a great athlete, the likes of which America has never seen before. Before Mickey even starts school, Mutt starts to introduce his son to baseball. When he comes home from work every day, Mutt and his father, Charlie, train Mickey to be a switch hitter, an ambidextrous baseball player. The boy plays for hours, left-handed against his father and right-handed against his grandfather. He's not allowed to eat dinner until he's finished baseball practice. By the age of 12 or 13, Mickey is playing whenever he has free time. By today's standards, Mutt's parenting is overzealous to say the least, but to some extent, his rigour is driven by fear. Mutt constantly reminds Mickey of the scarce opportunities men have to make a living in commerce without going into the mines. Mickey becomes dedicated to baseball, memorising all the strategies of the game. He also plays basketball and as a teenager briefly decides he's keen on football too. He badgers the reluctant Mutt until he lets him join the school team. Unfortunately, it's not long before he sustains an injury to his shin. Initially, it seems minor, but the swelling won't go down. He goes to hospital where he's diagnosed with a bone disease, osteomyelitis. For about a year, things look grim for Mickey's prospects as a professional athlete, but he recovers well. He returns to the baseball field and becomes one of his school's star players. When he gets his first professional contract, Mutt is disappointed, as the money isn't much better than the mines. But it's the first offer Mickey has ever had, and he takes it enthusiastically. He plays for the New York Yankees in the minor leagues for two seasons, and when he isn't playing, he works with his father. In 1951, his coach is so impressed by the young Mickey that he wants to put him forward for the major leagues. It's in this year also that he has his first run-in with another baseball great, Joe DiMaggio. The Italian-American player is a national celebrity, treated with reverence by the public and other baseball players alike. He's only 36, but already his body is starting to wear out, and he announces that he intends to retire at the end of the year. Yankees manager Casey Stengel decides Mickey may be the best choice to replace Joe DiMaggio as centre fielder, and he encourages Mickey to approach DiMaggio for mentoring. This doesn't go well. DiMaggio is distant and uninterested, and Mickey's too shy to say a word. In public, DiMaggio follows the team line and praises Mickey, but in private he doesn't think much of the 19-year-old, often deriding him to other players. But baseball enthusiasts and sports reporters can see the potential in Mickey and watch his games closely. He's known as the Wonder Boy and the Colossal Kid, the Commerce Comet. Not only Mickey's power, but his speed are celebrated. 
The lionization of his performance makes Mickey even more nervous. He even admits to a sports writer that, I somehow get the feeling that I hadn't ought to be here. In the wider world, the Korean War is raging, and due to his bone condition, Mickey is exempt from the draft. It's a difficult time for the teenager. The public really doesn't understand why such a fit, strong young athlete isn't fighting, and they question his patriotism. When Casey Stengel manages to wrangle him onto the team, Mickey is overjoyed. But now he also has to adjust to life in New York, and he's under constant scrutiny from the press. His newfound fame, as well as his obvious country origins, also make him a target for unscrupulous conmen. He's accosted and almost tricked out of half of the income he makes from endorsements, testimonials and appearances by a man posing as an agent. Fortunately, Mickey is still a minor and the contract he signs isn't binding. But by the time he starts playing, his bad experiences in the Big Apple have thrown him off his stride. Pitchers from opposing teams quickly spot his weak spots and he ends up striking out about 20% of the time. The fans, who once derisively nicknamed Joe DiMaggio the WAP, call Mickey the bum from Oklahoma, and he struggles to keep his temper on the pitch as the audience boos him. Casey Stengel calls him into his office and demotes Mickey back down to the minor leagues, the Kansas City Blues. He still lacks confidence, and he's lost his passion for baseball. He feels like he's completely failed. It's then that he contacts his father, and the memorable conversation takes place. In later years, Mickey will talk about seeing Mutt haggard, unhealthy, gaunt from his work in the mines. Mutt's words with his son make Mickey's mind up. He says the conversation he had with Mutt was the greatest thing my dad ever did for me. All of the sacrifices Mutt made, Mickey said, would have been thrown away if he'd not been there that night to put the iron in my spine when it was needed the most. Mickey begins to regain his confidence, hitting 11 home runs in the next 40 games. He plays in the 1951 World Series for the Yankees, sharing the outfield with Joe DiMaggio. In the second game, both players run for the ball at the same time. DiMaggio calls it, and Mickey tries to stop, but comes crashing to the ground, badly injuring his right leg. The next morning, his knee is badly swollen, and Mutt takes him to the hospital in a taxi. When the two men get out of the car, and Mickey leans on Mutt, he falls. The pair spend the next few days in the same room in hospital, as doctors perform tests to establish exactly what's wrong with Mutt. And the worst happens. Mickey is informed his father, like his uncles and his grandfather Charlie, has Hodgkin's lymphoma. When Mutt passes away later the same year, Mickey has to grow up quickly. He's only 20, but he's the man of the family now, responsible for supporting his mother and younger siblings, and now he also has a wife, 
his high school sweetheart, Merlin. The following year, the couple have their first child. Mickey returns limping into team training in 1952. The ligament on the inside of his leg has healed, but his right knee is still degenerating and it will for as long as he plays baseball. He works hard to regain stability in his leg and in the end he does replace DiMaggio in the centre field. The young father's second Major League Baseball season goes much better. With Mickey on board, the Yankees win game after game as they compete fiercely with the New York Giants and the Brooklyn Dodgers. However, Mickey's health is a constant issue. The following year, he tears the ligaments in his leg again and underperforms. He has surgery, but for the next 15 seasons, he plays on an injured leg and the pain never completely goes away. Every day for the rest of his career, he bandages his right leg from ankle to thigh before he plays. Mickey struggles to come to terms with his father's death. His problems with alcohol seem to date from the off-season of 1953, which he spends back in Commerce, Oklahoma, cruising around with his teammate and good friend, Billy Martin. He leaves Merlin at home all day with the baby, while he goes out and drinks with Billy. He turns his grief at Mutt's death and his frustration with his persistent injuries onto his own teammates and onto the sports writers who put so much pressure on him not long before. He's known to behave aggressively with reporters and end interviews with a cold, silent glare. After the Yankees lose the pennant for the first time in six years, the public again turns on Mantle. Once more, he's a dull country bumpkin. Even when he's not in perfect form, Mickey rarely actually has a bad season with the Yankees when compared to other players. However, due to his frequent injuries, he's often perceived as a drama queen. His medical history is misunderstood and downplayed. In time, he develops a thick skin and stops worrying what other people think of him and the sight of him hobbling onto the pitch during the 1955 World Series does a lot to rehabilitate his image. For the first time, his fans seem to realise he is genuinely in physical pain. 1956 is Mickey's Triple Crown year. It's the season where he really shines. At the age of only 25, he becomes a baseball legend. He's dubbed the Hero. He's the man who Sports Illustrated says could run with the speed of a jackrabbit. He could throw strikes to home base from deep in the outfield. A switch hitter, he could blast a ball faster than any man who ever lived. Mickey is catapulted into superstardom. He becomes president of Mickey Mantle Enterprises, a TV personality and a banquet speaker. But with his newfound success and fortune comes some heavy responsibilities. He's expected to be a role model, and this is causing him some problems. Not only is his drinking an issue, but he cheats on Merlin, and he's said to be extremely promiscuous. All this, of course, is well before the days of social media, and he's able to hush most of his behaviour up. 
but he receives a brutal reality check when he seeks a pay rise. The team's executive, George Weiss, refuses and threatens to release compromising pictures of Mickey and one of his lovers to the press. The Yankees' owners step in and save the situation, but Mickey is shaken to the core by what he perceives as an attempt at blackmail. Eventually, his affair with actress Holly Brooke does make it into the tabloids. Newspapers and magazines have a field day. Mickey's apparent innocence and wholesome, too-good-to-be-true image makes him the perfect target. Not long afterwards, Mickey's drinking buddy, Billy Martin, is involved in a barroom brawl, and Weiss, knowing that Mantle is untouchable, takes the opportunity to get rid of his problematic best friend. Mickey Mantle earns his spot in the Baseball Hall of Fame with a total of 536 home runs over the course of his career. But 1956 was his golden summer, and he is never able to recapture the success of that season. He hangs on, but suffers injury after injury, to his shoulders, his hands, his arms, his legs. In this Major League Baseball special, Mickey talks about the years leading up to his retirement. Mickey Mantle played for the Yankees for 18 years, and most of those years he played in pain. A debilitating bone disease called osteomyelitis had weakened him over the years, and in 1969, after three knee operations and numerous other injuries, Mickey Mantle, at the age of 36, retired. When I was 32, I was over the hill. I was through, and that's, that's what hurt. I played until I was 36, but um, the last four years was just... That's when it hurt, you know. Unfortunately, the mystique the team managed to create around Mickey doesn't last for long. His former teammate, Jim Boughton, writes his memoirs, which brings Mantle's heavy drinking and womanizing into the limelight again. Boughton is shunned by his teammates, but the damage he does to Mantle and the Yankees' reputation sticks. So what happens to a hero after the story ends? Well, Mickey moves to Dallas, Texas, and manages to make his marriage to Merlin work for another decade. The couple have four sons. Tragically, their third son, Billy, develops Hodgkin's lymphoma and dies at the age of 36. Mickey works as a sports commentator and a customer rep for an insurance company and he also makes forays into hospitality, founding the popular Mickey Mantle's Restaurant and Sports Bar in New York. He enjoys a resurgence in popularity in the 1980s, when the craze for sports memorabilia sweeps America. In his later years, he also confides in Merlin that he was sexually abused as a child by a female family member and neighborhood teenagers. American sports writer Jane Levy has suggested trauma from these experiences lay behind his hedonistic lifestyle. Despite his brilliant record as an athlete, Mickey always felt like he fell short of Mutt's great ambitions for him. I was over the hill at 33. I didn't have a good year after 33 years of age. And Willie and Musial, Hank Aaron, all those guys that are up at the top in the final statistics are guys that took good care of themselves. 
and it was my own fault, you know. And I look back at it, I get mad at myself, you know. I mean, it was stupid, and I just, I, I, that's one of the things uh, I'd, I'd like for the little leaguers, uh, or you know, all the kids, just to realize that you only get one, one body and uh, don't mess it up. Most in the back of his mind, Mickey thought in the short term. He was spared a life in the mines, but he still expected to die young, like his father. He defies his own expectations by living into the 1990s, and eventually ends up in hospital in 1995, where doctors discover he has hepatitis C, inoperable liver cancer, and cirrhosis of the liver, after decades of heavy drinking. In his later years, Mickey accepts that his lifestyle caused serious problems, not only for him, but for his family and friends. Three of his four sons become alcoholics, and even his wife Merlin seeks help from the Betty Ford Clinic. Mickey publicly acknowledges that he's not much of a role model and tells American kids don't be like me. In 1995, he receives a liver transplant, and in the same year, he establishes a foundation for people receiving organ transplants. Mickey's operation initially appears to be a success, but the cancer has spread to his lungs. He dies later in 1995, at the age of 63. Mickey Mantle was a superstar. He came from nothing, and in many ways he embodied the American dream. However, looking back nearly 70 years later, it's clear that his success came at a huge cost. If Mickey had been alive today, maybe he would have received medical treatment to spare him years of discomfort and pain, and the psychological treatment he needed to deal with his past. Today, Hodgkin's lymphoma is curable if it's caught early enough. Maybe Mutt would have recovered from his illness and lived to see his grandsons grow up. In all likelihood, there would also have been options for Mickey other than the sports field or a life of hardship and crushing poverty. But without Mutt's fanatical desperation to see his son succeed, would the Commerce Comet have had the same fire to play? No one will ever know. Mickey Mantle has gone down in history as America's prodigal son, the misunderstood but lovable golden boy whose name is synonymous with a simpler bygone era. The question is, was it ever really that simple? Thanks for listening to Since the World's Been Turning. I'm Robin Harrison. Thanks to Will McGillivray for the introduction music and to our writer, Elena McPhee. Please join us again next time as we continue to explore the people, events and places behind Billy Joel's iconic song. We're exploring the life of Jack Kerouac, the Beat Generation writer whose most famous novel, On the Road, scandalised America in 1957. For more episodes and information, you can follow NZ Pods, that's P-O-D-Z, on Instagram and Facebook, or you can visit our website, www.nzpods.com. That's nzpodz.com. 
Giving us reviews and ratings on your podcast service helps us share this project with more listeners, so please share your thoughts. We greatly appreciate your help in keeping this project going. Thanks again for listening, and please come back next time to hear more from Since the World's Been Turning.